Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, you guys uh, are excited this morning. I could hear it in the way that you are uh, you are worshiping with with everything you got. This is a great weekend uh, here in Maine. Anybody with me? Anybody excited about the weather we've been having? Tomorrow is Independence Day. We get to celebrate. Hopefully you have something planned with some family and friends. Uh, but I love gathering together. I love being the people of God who are gathered in this place. And uh, we're in this sermon series, as you can tell behind me, um, called Rhythm. And the whole idea behind this is that we want to practice the rhythms or the ways of Jesus um, more and more and more. Because uh, Jesus has had a d distinct way of living, and we want to pattern our lives after who Jesus is. You see, I, I, the way that my mind works is I get really excited about some of the uh, overarching themes of Scripture. I like to take 30,000-foot views and, and, and talk about big things and vision out as far as possible. And so when I come across Scriptures, one of my favorite Scriptures, and I've probably said this uh, at least a dozen times uh, on stage, is, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It's talking about this idea of reflecting on Jesus. That, that, that when we actually reflect on who he is, it, Paul writes that we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the very image of Jesus Christ. And that makes me really excited. I'm like, woohoo, we all get to be transformed. And I, I want to be transformed. I want you to be transformed. Um, and I want this, this area of southern Maine and then all of Maine to be transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. I think that would be an awesome, awesome goal for us to go after. But then I, I have to be honest uh, at, at some point when I come back down to earth and I stop doing the 30,000 foot view, the, the question is how? How are we transformed? I mean, is it some, some sort of like automatic thing that you decide to believe in Jesus and all of a sudden you're going to be transformed? As if there was like you, you pray a prayer and then transformation happens. But, you know, I've been a believer for quite a long time. And, and I, when I take a, a self-honest look at myself, I realize that I'm not, I haven't arrived, that I'm still on the struggle bus heading towards redemption, that, that, that I still don't look as much like Jesus as I want to or Jesus wants me to. And so I, I want to take a step into what it looks like for us to actually be transformed. What does it take? And, and you should all know that it takes time. That's the first thing. I mean, this is, this is why, one of the reasons why Jesus showed up on earth the way that he did. See, if he came only to save us, he could have come, uh, died on the cross, and gone to heaven like that, and he would have accomplished that mission. But there was more to Jesus' life than just dying on the cross. That, that is the, the pivotal moment in human history, yes, is when Jesus died on the cross and then was raised from the dead on the third day. But Jesus has years of, of, of examples of how he lived his life and how he asked his disciples to live his life. And that's what we're trying to get at, this idea of practices and rhythms of Jesus that we can apply to our own life. And the reason why I think some of us are not transformed to the, to the level of which we want to be transformed is because there's a lot of, of, of not Jesus-y rhythms going on in our culture. In our everyday life, uh, there, are, there are other ways that are antithetical or not patterned after the way of Jesus. And I've said this kind of thing before, um, but I want to dive into it pretty, pretty clearly this morning. Uh, we have 168 hours uh, uh, in, in a week. That is a typical, not a typical, that is every single week, is 168 hours. Um, and some people think 
that, you know, it's okay if you spend one hour a week at church reflecting on who Jesus is, that the 167 hours a week can be spent doing whatever you want. And then, and then all of a sudden we'll see ourselves being transformed into Jesus. But the problem is those patterns that show up in other places um, sometimes take over. Or if you're a really good Rock Church uh, member, uh, maybe you're in a small group. Maybe uh, we've said small groups enough that we finally convinced you to get into one. And so now you're like, man, now I'm on two hours. I'm good, right? But now you have 160, I'm keeping this right, 166 hours that you're being formed by the world and not by Jesus. And then maybe some of you are like, well, I'm going to serve now. Now you're in three hours. You get what I'm saying? There's a lot of time in our in our lives. And Dallas Willard used to say this. Um, Dallas Willard was a was a philosopher and a theologian. He was a brilliant guy. He spent so much time um, just reflecting on Jesus. And, and he said so many good things. But one of the things that he used to say, he passed away a few years ago. He used to say that you're being formed by something no matter what. What matters, though, is whether you are being formed by the world or being formed by Jesus. You see, every bit of your life is, is formative to you. You're formed by the people you hang out with. You're formed by your family. You're formed by work or school. You're formed by what you do with your free time, how you spend your money. Um, what do you do in the evenings? You know, are, are, you, are you being formed more, more by Netflix or more by whatever than you are by the Word of God or by the practices and rhythms of Jesus? And so Dallas Willard would say, no matter what, you are being formed. The goal of the Christian life is to be formed more by Jesus than you are by the world. Now, the good news is we do have the Holy Spirit. And we do not have to do all the work to self-form us. We don't have to do all of it. Uh, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to transform us. But we can't just assume that if we do nothing, that we're going to be formed because the Holy Spirit is working on our life. We have some things and partnering things that we're going to do um, and need to do. And one of the reasons why I, I think this is so important is that the world around us uh, has a specific pattern of living. There's, there's a cultural thing that, that's going on where, where Western society as a whole um, believes in this idea of secularism. And, and so they believe that, that you can have sort of a, a the, the benefits of Christianity, you can have freedom, you can have the elevation of the human spirit and person, uh, you can have uh, uh, money and happiness and peace and all that kind of stuff, but they believe they can achieve it on their own. And that's what secularism is. It's trying to take all the benefits of, of, of the life that we all believe that we ought to live, in it, but achieve it without God. And the problem is, is that the world is going crazy. Anybody, anybody with me on that? Anybody believe that the world is absolutely going nuts? The rest of you guys, man, you're not paying attention. The, you, like, it seems like everything, no matter what. And I'm not just talking about like politics or wars. Definitely those things are going on. But I'm talking about like the, the, the human condition. Where, where people are becoming more and more anxious, where people are becoming more and more, uh, they have less and less hope and more and more despair, where they're looking for identity in various places. They're looking for community anywhere they can find it, and they're turning to the wrong things because that is what happens when you think that you can achieve the life that Jesus wants without Jesus. And so I want to take a look at why, how we can actually go to the source of life, go to the source of peace, go to the source of, 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 of life and pattern our lives after him. Because the, the outside world is literally 
crumbling. And I think if we are honest with ourselves, that we probably have a little bit of that going on in our lives. If you are not going to the source, if you are not patterning your life, even though you might be a believer in Jesus, if you're not patterning your life after him, there's a good chance that you're falling into the pattern of the world. And there's a really good chance that some of those things that are happening in, in, in the world around us are happening in your mind and your heart. You see, I was, um, I was doing a little studying this week about this idea about what does, what's going on in culture, what's going on in the head and heart of people um, in society. And I'm not going to give you all the stuff because there were so many studies done, so many stats, but I'm going to give you two. Uh, and one is that people are becoming lonelier. I'm actually going to give you three. So uh, people are lonelier now than they've ever been. That, that, that loneliness has become such a big deal in Western culture that the UK in the year 2017 actually instituted a, a government position called the Minister of Loneliness. That's how lonely people are. They, they're literally like, society is going crazy. Society is becoming un, like, so lonely. We're going to have a minister of loneliness. The, the studies are somewhere above 80% of young adults in the United States feel like they have no one. They don't have support from family. They don't have a friend group. They don't have support from society. And they're feeling super lonely, 80%. And just as bad, 73%, the American Psychological Association just did a study in March. And they, and they said that over 73% of the respondents in their study that they did feel uh, overwhelmed by the world, feel overwhelmed by, by what's happening in society, Be, feel overwhelmed by global events. 73% are sliding into a life of anxiety and fear and depression and hopelessness. That's big big stuff. And I think if you pause for a moment and you think about, I don't know, like I said, it's a nice weekend, so maybe you're feeling happy this weekend, you got good weather, but how anxious have you been over the last few months? How tired have you felt? How weary? How burdened? And I really do believe that there's a better way. In fact, Jesus would actually uh, say this to, to the people who were listening to him at the moment. He says, he says, listen, come to me, everybody who is weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest, or I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. This is what Jesus says, if you, if you yoke yourself together with me, I will give you rest. And I actually like the way that Eugene Peterson uh, translates this in the message version of the Bible. This is Matthew 11, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says this, are you tired? And so I'm going to ask you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Here's the solution. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real test. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's what Jesus says. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And let me, let me point out, he doesn't say, just come to me and sit down and do anything. He actually says, work with me. Work with me. See how I do it. See how I live my life. See how I pattern my life. And if you do that, you will learn the unforced rhythms of grace and those burdens will begin to lift. And you will live a life that is, that is much more joyous, much more fruitful, all these type of things. So we're in this series 
called rhythm. And today we're actually going to be in Matthew chapter 4 because we're going to learn the rhythm of Scripture. We'll learn the rhythm of Scripture. Last week we talked about worship and the idea that, man, I'm, I'm glad when we get to get, get together and we get a chance to put Jesus and put God right here because it reminds us that we have a good God. It reminds us of the, of the power and the glory and the majesty of, of God and, and, and that we have something to fall back on. And this week we're going to talk about Scripture. And so I want to talk a little bit um, about this rhythm of Scripture and the fact that, that, that Jesus' life proves just how much he used Scripture um, in, in his day-to-day life. And the first uh, thing that I want to point out really quickly before we jump into Matthew 4 is that we do not have uh, a ton of information about Jesus as a child. We don't. There, there's really one story about Jesus other than when he was a baby and we've got the birth, uh, you know, Christmas story. Uh, we don't really have anything except for when he was 12 years old. He and his family, Mary and Joseph, and maybe his brothers and cousins and all that kind of stuff, they went to uh, Jerusalem to, to celebrate the Passover. So basically, uh, in modern terms, they're on family vacation. And so they go to Jerusalem, celebrate the Passover, and Jerusalem was a couple days uh, journey. So they had to stop in the middle of the journey and, you know, camp or whatever they did back then. And so on their way back to Nazareth, um, Mary and Joseph are looking around uh, and they can't find Jesus. Um, And they realize that they left Jesus in Jerusalem. So have you guys ever seen the movie Home Alone? Uh, Do you know... By the last, I I guess you have. There's a scene in the movie where they're on the plane and they're trying to figure out if they left something on uh, at home or there there was something wrong. And the mom all of a sudden sits up and screams, "Kevin!" and realized that they had left Kevin at home and they're on an airplane heading to Europe. And uh, I I almost get this picture of Mary and Joseph all of a sudden being like, "There's something missing," and then all of a sudden they're like, "Wait a minute, it's Jesus!" And so Mary like sits up and says, "Jesus!" And then all of a sudden they have to like go and tell God, be like, hey God, um, I know you entrusted your son to us, but we lost him. Yeah, if you could help us out of this one, that would be a big thumbs up, you know. Um, and so they, anyway, the story goes is they head back to Jerusalem and they, uh, they find Jesus in the temple. And he is being uh, just absolutely, uh, he is stunning the rabbis. He is stunning the, the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, he is, with his knowledge of scripture. And the Bible says that they literally were, were saying to themselves, how can this child know so much about the Bible? So Jesus, even as a young person, just loved Scripture. He loved to, to understand it, and he loved to read it and recite it. And then, uh, if you, uh, and then this, the second part that I want to point out really quickly is that uh, if you have one of those red-letter Bibles, those Bibles that actually write or show the words of Jesus in red, um, there are about 1,800 verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined that actually show Jesus uh, speaking. And of those 1,800 verses, there's 180 of them that are either quoting Scripture or alluding to and or paraphrasing directly the Old Testament. And so, again, that, that if, you're, if you're quick with the math, that's 10%. 10% of the words that Jesus spoke were actually were, was quoting Scripture. Um, and so it was important. It was a big deal to Jesus to have this as a part of the rhythm of his life. And uh, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And this is a, is a story that happens right after Jesus is baptized. 
Um, that's another rhythm of Jesus's life that we're going to talk about on July 31st, New Life Sunday. It's a big deal. Jesus got baptized, and he commanded his disciples to baptize too. Um, so we ought to, you know, do that. So we're going to pattern our lives after that. So if you have not been baptized, please so go on to our website, sign up, because it's a really important step in your obedience to the way of Jesus. And so, anyway, so he has just gotten baptized. He hasn't started his ministry yet. And the Bible tells us uh, what happens next in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going to start right in verse 1. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw your, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their, and, and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Now, we're going to unpack that quite a bit. Um, and because there are three times in which Satan himself, the devil, tempts Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus' response each time is to quote Scripture. And uh, so I want to unpack a little bit because uh, I think we sometimes, if you don't know uh, where he's getting some of these responses, you might not know kind of what they, what they mean and what they signify, not only for Jesus in that moment, but also for us as a, as a uh, uh, pathway in which we should follow. And so the first time that happens, Jesus is led out into the wilderness, um, and led out into the desert, and he's fasting for 40 days. And, and it's at that point that the devil shows up, and the, the father of lies, the person who's in charge of, of all the bad things going on in this world around us, shows up to Jesus, and he's like, ooh, I bet you're hungry. See those stones? You can turn them into bread. You're awesome. You can do miracles. Wouldn't it be just great if you do it? Just have some food. And Jesus' response was immediate. He's like, listen, this is not about my physical needs at the moment. This is not about my stomach. This is not about whatever. This, he said, I've been led out here by the Spirit of God. God has me on a mission. I was put here for a purpose, and I'm out here in the desert for a purpose, and that purpose is not to eat food. And so he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he says, direct quote, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And in, and in Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you were to go back and read in your Bible, um, the context of that whole thing is God is speaking to his people. He's speaking to the people of Israel, and he's saying, hey, listen, uh, don't you remember that, that time that, that I brought you out of Egypt? That, that in the Exodus, I, I brought you out of slavery, but then I had to take you into the wilderness for 40 years. I had to lead you day by day by day uh, so that you would learn that, that you can rely totally on me. You needed to be humbled so that you rely on me. 
And so I gave you manna every single day. Not enough for multiple days, just enough for every day so that you would learn to follow me and rely totally on me. And so the first thing that this scripture reminds us to do is to totally rely on God. Like that's what Jesus is getting at. That's what this means. Don't just don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You've got to totally rely on Jesus. You've got to totally rely on the Heavenly Father. You've got to totally rely on the Holy Spirit. Because God has a mission for us, and our temptation is to, is to go to other things, is to look for freedom in other things, to look for peace in other things, to look for happiness in other things. And the, the myth of culture says you have got to produce your own happiness, or even that happiness is the goal of your life. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's like, man, that food would make him happy in that moment, but he would not be fulfilling the thing that God wanted him to do if he would have turned those stones into bread. And so if you are looking, I don't know what your story is. I don't know. You can insert so many different things here. Whatever you are going after, if it is not relying on God and you're relying on these other things, then you are not living in the freedom and the fullness of who Jesus has called you to be. And that's what Jesus is proving here. I've been led out here for, by the Holy Spirit. I'm on a mission from God, and I'm going to rely totally on him, not on my own personal understanding in this moment. Because right now I'm a little hungry but I know that God will sustain me. So that's the first thing that Jesus does. Now, uh, Satan doesn't stop there. He also, he, he's super, super cunning. If you look through uh, scripture, you'll see this over this pattern over and over and over again, that, that Satan kind of uses the easy things. Uh, the, I, he's not like coming at you with like demons and rah, rah, rah. Not all the time. A lot of times when Satan's speaking, he's speaking the soft things. He's trying to trick you sneakily like Adam and Eve in the garden. He's like, hmm, that fruit looks good. I mean, ooh, you would actually be better off if you, if you tasted it. So Satan's trying to play the same game with Jesus. He, Jesus just quoted scripture, so Satan's like, ooh, I got a scripture for you, Jesus. And he, he takes him up to the top of the temple, the highest point in the temple. He says, the scriptures say that if you throw yourself off, then angels are just going to come and attend you. They're going to pick you up, and you're not going to even hit your foot on a stone. And uh, Jesus comes back and says, yeah, but the scriptures also say. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, where it says, do not test the Lord your God. And so Jesus had a response to, to the second lie of Satan that was a little bit sneakier, a little bit more covered in nuance. And so I think what Jesus is trying to show us here with these patterns that we live out is that knowing Scripture, knowing the Bible, actually keeps us from false teachings. Knowing the Bible actually keeps us from false teachings. This is a, a, a pretty big deal for us. I think you need to really grab a hold of this because it is easy, easy, easy to just pick Scripture apart and, 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 and get the wrong idea. To have things that, that you think are right because it's from the Bible, but it's actually a false teaching. Because th this happens all the time. I've heard pastors do this before from stage. Where, where, you know, you'll pick one scripture from here, you'll pick from here, and you'll pick it, and you'll put together so that your point gets across. So, but it's not from the Bible. It's actually using, we call this in theological terms, we, we call this proof texting. Because there are a lot of verses in the Bible. There are a lot of words in the Bible. And if you pick and choose, um, and, and you're not careful, then you can argue just about anything, including false teaching. And that's what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to say, hey, this is Bible. This is truth. You just use the scripture on me. Can I use it on you? And because Jesus knew scripture to the level at which he did, he was able to point it out in a second and say, no, that doesn't, that doesn't work. That's not right. 
And so it is important for us to have a pretty robust understanding of Scripture so that you don't toss to and fro in false teaching. Because the danger is you can actually fit the Bible into this, this, this culture that I've that been telling you about that, that actually leads to ruin. You can believe that, that Scripture is all about you, that salvation is, is, is an individualistic thing, and it's just about the individual, when actually it's about the world around us. It's actually about us doing mission together, being in community. And so you've got to make sure that you understand the fullness of Scripture so that we don't fall into the trap of, of doing Christianity the wrong way or being and understanding the wrong things. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He's trying to, to help us to understand that, hey, even, even when it comes at you, even when it sounds good, make sure it is good because it's important. And some things that, that can show up in, in the world and in, in the church can actually be really harmful. Jesus, in, in John chapter 17, right before he went to the cross, he spends um, this evening with his disciples, and he's, he's teaching them, and he's praying for them, and he actually spends time praying for his disciples, but then he begins to, then he begins to pray for every person that will ever believe in him. And he actually says to God, for anybody who ever believes in me, from now until the, till eternity, I pray for them. I pray that they may be one, just like you and I are one. And the problem with false teaching is, is it actually divides. That is one of the biggest missions of Jesus is to divide us as a church so that we do not have unity, so that we do not have this thing that Jesus desperately wanted for us and prayed right before he went to the cross that you and I would have community and you and I would have unity in the scripture. But for the last 500 years, there's been church split after church split after church split. And a lot of it along theological lines out of the same scripture that you and I have together. And so one person says this, one person says another, one person interprets it this way, one person interprets it that way, and all of a sudden you have a church split. And that is not the way of Jesus. That is the way that Satan wants to trick us into uh, having disunity when his prayer for us is unity. So it's important. That's, that's why this is so important for us to know Scripture, to live into this rhythm of Jesus, because it makes a difference. And then finally... Um, Jesus, uh, or Satan takes Jesus up to a high mountain and he shows him all these kingdoms with all their splendor. And, the, 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 and it's tempting, like there's a lot of cool stuff out there, right? And he, he brings him up there and he says, listen, I will give all of this to you. You can have all the wealth, you can have all the whatever. And all you got to do is worship me. Just bow down and worship me. And again, Jesus, in a second, in a moment, says, no. And he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 again, and he quotes directly in Deuteronomy 6, chapter thir or verse 13. He says, he said, listen, worship the Lord your God alone. Do not, do, do not worship anyone else and serve him only. And immediately Satan fled from him. You see, I think we, we're not necessarily offered from a mountaintop the world. But, man, can I just tell you for a second that, that we have the world at our fingertips, that I'm going to ask you to pick up, pull out your cell phones in a, in a minute, but like I can get to just about any information in, in the history of mankind from this phone. I have the world at my fingertips. And the danger that we, that we face is that Satan all the time is going to ask us, and I'll give you all of this. I'll give you the splendor of what I have to offer in the world. All you got to do is worship me. And when I talked earlier about uh, Dallas Willard saying uh, you're being formed by something, uh, it just matters what you're being formed by. 
I think the same thing could be true about the word worship. You see, worship is actually, uh, at, its, at its actual definition, is to ascribe worth to something. To give worth uh, to God, to worship God, means that we're spending our time and attention towards Him, and we're giving Him something of ourselves. And so, um, the, the same is true about being formed. You're always being formed. The, same, the, the truth is you are always worshiping. It just matters what you're worshiping at the moment. So, in a kind of a strange way, Satan offers us all this information, all of this stuff, uh, whether it's Facebook or Netflix or Instagram, or I, the list goes on and on and on. And he's like, listen, all you got to do is spend your attention. It'll be great. Spend your moments, spend your time worshiping this. Spend your time uh, looking after or trying to go after all the splendor of the world. Uh, because that's what I want from you. And if you, if you just worship me, I'll give you, it'll be, it'll be happy. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. You know, every once in a while, I catch myself doing uh, something like this where I'll be like, ooh, I kind of want a boat. And it's true. I want a boat. Uh, I don't know why I want a boat. I think it would be cool to just sail off into the ocean. And every once in a while, I get on, the, get on my phone or the computer, but mostly it's my phone. And I'll just, like, peruse, like, yacht sails uh, for, like, an hour. Um, I can't afford a yacht. I can't even for, afford, like, a stupid motorboat. Like, so, um, but I'll just spend my son, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? I could sleep there and we do this and blah, blah, blah. And, and, but because that's natural. It's natural for us to, to kind of be drawn into that. But that's not, the, that's not the effortless, easy rhythm of grace. That's not what Jesus spent his time doing. Now, he didn't have an iPhone, but still. The, the, he spent his time uh, in prayer. He spent his time together with the disciples. He set, spent his time learning Scripture. He spent his time worshiping the Father. These easy rhythms of grace. And when we, spend our, when we immerse ourselves in the Word, when we immerse ourselves in the stories uh, of Jesus, the stories of God, the victories that He's given His people, the glory, all of it, when we immerse ourselves in that, in that Word, we avoid, it helps us not to worship the world. When we immerse ourselves in the Word, it helps us not to worship the world because this is we have a big mission. We have a big thing that God wants to accomplish. But listen, when you start to worship the world, it all comes to naught. It all comes to nothing. And that's when anxiety begins to creep in. That's when fear begins to creep in. But when we learn how to be in this effortless rhythm of grace, we learn that, that, that uh, there's more to this life, so much more. And that there's more rest and more peace and more joy in the way of Jesus than there is in chasing after the rhythms of this world. And so uh, it, it, we are actually going to get a chance to respond in worship. That, that, that this will help us to, to spend our time thinking about God, thinking about these things that, that God wants from us. But I just want to encourage every single one of us. I said I was going to pull my phone out um, and, and because... I said at the beginning that, that transformation is a process. It is a journey. It is us being apprenticed to Jesus over time, not just like a quick fix. And so I don't think for a second that just because I talked to you for 30 minutes about the importance of Scripture, that you're going to go home and start reading Scriptures two hours a day. I don't think that's going to happen. However, is anybody in the room with me that you want to take a step towards being a little bit more in the rhythms of Jesus and the rhythms of grace? If you are, put your hand, raise a real high. So now take that same hand and pull out your phone, if you would, please. And navigate to your calendar app. 
because this is something that I found dead useful for me. That, uh, that I, if I don't do this, I have a tendency to forget. And I want us to commit to do something. First of all, go to your calendar app any day that you want to and just click on the day and then add a, an event. And I just want you to write down scripture. And the event doesn't, uh, you, you can decide how long you want, but I want us to commit to five minutes a day. That's like nothing. I don't care when you do it. Maybe it's five minutes when you wake up in the morning. Maybe it's five minutes at, my, my alarm goes off at 9 p.m. I don't know where, I don't care where you need to put it. Just put scripture and set an alarm and set it as a daily practice. Because as we do this, as you dig into the Word, as you experience the, the power of the Almighty Word of God, uh, then, then things will begin to shift in your priorities as you, as you put God where He belongs, as, as you get to hear some of the greatness and some of the, the, the peace that can come from studying His Word. And so this week, next week, as we continue to lean into these various rhythms, I, there, there's going to be things that you can add to that calendar. There's going to be times where you can add daily prayer to that calendar. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's an every week thing instead of an everyday thing. But as we experience and as we lean into and practice the ways of Jesus, I believe that we're going to see that transformation happen over time. But let's take a step. Let's take this moment. And then right now, as the worship team comes out, we are going to get a chance to respond. And we're going to respond with this song. Uh, uh, it's called Same God. And just like reading scripture reminds us that God is good, that God is, is holy, that he is powerful, that he is faithful, we're going we're gonna to hear and we're going to sing about these stories of, of God's faithfulness across generations, across different people in different places in the Bible. We're going to see God move, and we're going to declare that he's the same God that moves in power here among us and with us. But at the same time, we're also going to plead this, this prayer, God, we need you to break these rhythms that we may have gotten trapped in as ways of the world. We need you to, to help us to live out the grace and peace and truth and, and love of your son, Jesus Christ. We're going to need you. And so we're going to sing these both. We're going to remind ourselves how good God is. We're going to remind ourselves how much we need him. And as we uh, take steps to live out these rhythms, perhaps maybe we can we can be uh, transformed uh, in just a little bit more ways as we continue to lean in. So let's stand together. Let me pray for us um, as we respond in worship. So dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for being who you are. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for salvation, but I thank you for the example that Jesus has given us. I thank you that, that your way is actually to live in these unforced rhythms of grace, that this anxiety that might be present in us does not have to be the way that, that we live our lives, but we can lean in to the way of your son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray right now that as we remember, as we respond, as we declare that you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever, I just pray that you help us um, to, to have our hope rise, our faith rise, as we declare this to you. It's in your name we pray.